Impact Hustlers, the podcast on entrepreneurs and changemakers that are creating solutions to the world's biggest problems. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Waira UK, part of Telefonica Open Future. Visit waira.co.uk to learn how our acceleration programs can help your startup grow. And this is your host, Michael Shafrat. On today's episode, I'm talking to Gemma Phipps, founder and co-director of Schoolspace, what could be called uh, Airbnb for schools, allowing schools to easily rent out their spaces, such as gyms, to generate additional revenue. The company is on a mission to eliminate the school funding crisis and has helped schools in the UK make more than uh, £500,000 in revenue through their platform. Schoolspace just graduated from the Texas London program and is now looking to scale across the UK. It's great to have you on the show, Gemma. Thank you. That was a nice pitch. <laughs> I don't have to do anything now. <laughs> not, not quite as well as you did in the Texas demo day, but I, I'm getting there. I did <laughs> practice for two months before, though, so... <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, so uh, I want to talk about how School Space started, because you actually started School Space while being in school mm -hmm. and being in a school that was troubled financially and uh, w with their performance. So tell us more about that. H how did it all come about and why did you start yeah. School Space back then? So it was a few kind of um, lucky occurrences, as I think most entrepreneurial journeys are. Um, myself and my co-founder, James, we were in school uh, age 17 and we were on the head boy and head girl team. So kind of running around looking busy and important and organizing lots of charity events. Um, And kind of a few things happened at the same time. The school budget crisis was just beginning. This was back in 2011, um, kind of austerity just starting. And um, the also our school went into special measures, which is a term that the government uses to uh, mean not great. Um, so it was kind of a harrowing time for the school community. Um, and we quite passionately believed that our school was better than that label um, and all the negative press it was receiving in the local area you know it wasn't great for the school reputation um, so kind of all those things were happening and I think we, we knew that we were organizing events and making the school quite a bit of cash in the evening we were like hang on um, surely there's something to be done with this and with the encouragement of a teacher we entered into kind of a similar style program to Young Enterprise with the idea of organizing events in schools in that dead time basically whether it was evenings weekends or school holidays schools are actually only used 17% of the time for teaching so there's just the facilities just idle the vast majority of the time um and then we had our one and only pivot which obviously we didn't realize it was at the time which was a realization that we shouldn't be organizing the events actually there was huge demand from the local community um to just come in use the space so it was less kind of Our customers are not what you think of. A lot of people are like, oh, right, weddings, meetings. And that's mm. that's not it at all, actually. It's kind of hyper-local community, often franchise-led events. So I'm talking Zumba, a local church group, a language school, um, any sport that you can think of. We actually have a Quidditch team in some of our schools. <laughs> um, and it's it's a, it's very varied, but it, it's very much grassroots, um, often in every community in the UK, but it's not events. So mm. that was our kind of change. And then for three years, I was at university um, studying history, which is no relation to <laughs> the company whatsoever, um, but taught me a lot. And James had a number of other jobs. And then when I graduated in 2014, we were like, should we try and make this a business? Mm. Um, and I've just grown it from there. And is your school still working with you now? It is, yeah. yeah. Wheatley Park School, which is in Oxford. Um, it's still not a special measure school. Um, this time it's actually managed to not get that grading. Mm. Um, but it, we were always quite passionate about the fact that it was a brilliant school. So yeah, it's made a bit of cash from us. We've got, you know, the primary school we've been working with the longest. We've generated kind of over £100,000 for. So it, it's, you know, we've got a few long-term relationships as well as the growth that we've had recently. 
Amazing. Since you first started, I think it's been eight years now. What are the biggest lessons and the biggest challenges you you had to overcome in that period? Great question. I normally cop out of this question by saying that there's different challenges every day. And I, I do think that's one of the hallmarks of running your own business is there's always something more. There's always something bigger. There's always something you don't anticipate. So I think life is just a series of very small challenges. And each time you try not to do the same thing that you did last time or make the same mistake again. I think I've learned a lot about management, whether it's of people's expectations or people themselves. I think one of the biggest challenges for James and I was always running a team when they were all much, much older than us and much more experienced than us. Um, I think another challenge is kind of self-belief. I think whether it's because you're a woman or a young person, I think it, you're often as an entrepreneur, you have imposter syndrome and you don't believe that you can achieve what you do. And I think that holds back people in terms of ambition, but also shouting about what's good about what they've done. So I think I'd probably have less self-doubt if I were to do it all over again. And just a very basic one, not losing sight of selling while you're doing other things like raising. I think that's one that a lot of, I've kind, I'm kind of on a bit of a diatribe about it at the moment. I think a lot of founders get very distracted from growing the business while they're fundraising. And fundraising is so, you know, the topic of the moment, the indicator of success. And actually, whilst that is very important and it's great kudos if you've got wonderful investors and good investment into your company, I think revenue is often the best form of raising. And I think if I were to do it again, I would just remember that. Not that I wouldn't have raised the investment, but I would just would have remembered that more. Mm. Uh, you, you talked about imposter syndrome. We actually had a whole episode uh, previously with Tanya Diggory from a community called Kama, mm -hmm. uh, which is all about getting entrepreneurs to take care of their mental health. And I think it's really uh, great that you you just mentioned it as well and, and that more and more entrepreneurs are talking about it. Did you have anything in, in your past where we, you were like really went to th challenging times and were like, okay, is this really worth it? Uh, and did you have something that you used to get over that or the, how, how did you overcome that? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think, yes, I have gone through challenging times. I think most entrepreneurs have. I think the last year has been particularly challenging, what with being on an amazing accelerator program, but also having to run the business. Mm. Um, we've doubled year on year and every year that's more growth. Um, so it gets harder and harder. Um, I think there's a lot of things that you can talk about when it comes to mental health with entrepreneurs. I'm glad that people are talking about it more. I think there's more support and more acknowledgement out there. There still tends to be an attitude of when you ask someone how their business is going, everyone just says, great, 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 fab, great. <laughs> and you don't hear that no one talks about the difficult stuff because you have to be putting up this image of growing both for like investor confidence and mm. customer confidence. And even if that is the case, people don't tend to say, oh, you know, it's actually been a really, really crap week. <laughs> um, I think fair pay for founders is really important. I think often founders don't pay themselves. You'll find nearly everyone I know who's running a business is paying themselves well under market rate and probably half the amount that they're paying um, their star employee. Um, we are certainly guilty of that. And I think it's it's probably not the right time to do something about that in our business. But I think a lot of people hold themselves back um, from taking the same amount of freedoms that they give to their employees, whether it's time off for maternity leave or um, weekends or, um, you know, taking some time to go and do some yoga, like simple things. I think founders often become a bit martyr-like in their need to serve the team. So yeah, I think a recognition of that and talking about it is definitely the first step. Mm, no, that's that's great to hear talking about it. Um, back to the problem you're solving and the, the, the customers you're working with, your, uh, the, the schools you work with. Um, can you describe maybe a story of impact that you were able to make on the schools? So I talked about a half a million, more than half a million in revenue for schools. But what does that actually mean? What can schools actually do 
uh, when they start working with you and uh, make some extra money on the side, basically? Yeah, so I think there's we have a lot of case studies of schools investing the money well, um, whether it's knowing that it's been spent on um, books for children with special educational needs um, or whether being safe in the knowledge that the money we've provided has paid for the salaries of multiple teaching assistants. I think, and, you know, reinvestment in facilities, there's a whole myriad of things that schools do do and can spend the money on. I think for me, when it comes to a school journey with working with us, one of the most fascinating things is kind of the turnaround that you can provide. So a lot of people, or a lot of schools rather, view our model as a way to make money, which is great. Money is important. As we you stated in your wonderful pitch of the business, the school funding crisis is kind of the reason we exist and, and why schools contract with us. But one of the things that I love most about what we do is the community engagement. So obviously when you start renting out your facilities as a school in the evenings and weekends, you become a community hub in a way that you haven't previously. You know, we see everything from in areas where uh, English is not the first language for a large portion of the community, we'll have an Arabic school in at the weekend that's run by the Arabic community. Um, In areas where um, STEM is a particular focus, we might have a coding club in at the weekend, uh, where there are parents who are part of a church group that's kind of non-English and potentially from an African country, for example, you know, a lot of them will um, come and use the hall on a Sunday morning for their church session. So I think one of the biggest transformational impact stories that we see is that usage of the school and how that benefits the school. So I'll probably use a school to talk through it. So we have a large school in Cowley in Oxford, which is one of the kind of area deprived more deprived areas in Oxford obviously there are some very very wealthy areas in Oxford um but Cowley is very diverse and one of the school that we work with there kind of had um previously run lettings or rather let people in to use its facilities after hours they're making a decent amount of income but the fact of the matter is when you start renting out your facilities as a school it is a separate business and things like thinking about how people perceive the school when they come in you know how to curate the customers how to provide a good experience you know when people were coming to that school it was kind of people were turning up to use it when they hadn't booked people were um not quite dealing drugs in the car park, but it wasn't a great image when you arrived. Um, And also it was very difficult to book because obviously even with the best will in the world, the administrators weren't there after three o'clock and in the holidays. So now when you come to book the school, you know, we have an amazing customer um, base, which reflects the diverse community, but also you come and you meet one of our staff members who's got a high-vis jacket on, you know, meets and greets every customer. It's a well-run place. When you attend there in the evening, you can really feel that it's a hub that's used by the community and represents the school well. And that's really important. So that's one case. Just very quickly, there's another one. We One of our key customers is Stagecoach, which is a group. It's kind of like a supplementary drama group that uses the school on a Saturday. A really good example of kind of how our impact goes full circle. And so we have Stage Group using Icknield School in or they did use Ickmill School, they also use Matthew Arnold School um, in the west of Oxford. And they come in, they use the facility on a Saturday and they pay quite a bit of money. It's kind of in the hundreds of pounds to use multiple facilities on a Saturday morning. Obviously that goes back to the school and that's our first layer of impact. The second element is that when they come in, they're providing drama, teaching and resources to quite a few of the students that are at the school. And they also provide scholarships to those students at the school. So we've got the school community benefiting in a second way. Um, The third way is obviously that there's that resource there for the community and they feel at home in the school. It's the best drama facilities for a few miles around. So that 
group flourishes and also gets more attendees because they're in a school. So it's a more viable community organization. And then finally, the person that locks and unlocks for that group is a local mum. So although, you know, she's one of our team members and she's employed and she has paid the living wage, she's also contributing to her school community and coming back there after hours and being paid to do that. So that's a really good example of how just one booking can have a lot more value than just the money that goes back to the school. Mm, on, the, on the whole community that's involved with the school and even involving communities that haven't been involved with the school before. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I imagine that a big part of what you're trying to do or what what, what happens as a effect of what you're doing is making schools think a bit more like a business. Mm. Not saying that schools need to be completely working like a business. There might be downsides to that as well. But in terms of, hey, we actually have all these assets. Maybe mm. we should be doing something with it or maybe we should do it more efficiently. Do you think that's a big part of what you're doing? And is, is that a challenge to get like school administrators who are not business people mm. usually um, to think like, okay, we could actually not just complain about a funding crisis, but actually do something about it. Yeah, it is certainly a challenge. And I think anyone that works in the education sector, if you've interviewed anyone before that sells to schools, I'm sure they've told you what a challenge it is. That challenge doesn't, I, I don't think it, yes, lots of people in schools are not very business minded, but I would say the real challenge comes from their time. You know, in a financially stretched environment where people are doing eight jobs at once, teachers are underpaid and overworked, you know, no one has the time to think about these things. They can't, they employ a business manager, but if you look at the salary that schools pay business managers compared with the budget size that they're meant to be managing, like that just doesn't add up. And I think, yeah, I think what we can do most to encourage schools to be more entrepreneurial is to just provide that extra time and resource so that they can reinvest in their staff members. They can do things like provide the pay and the and the additional administrative team members to be able to think about things because it's not that schools aren't entrepreneurial. There are plenty of cases of schools being extremely entrepreneurial. But when they've got a thousand things on their mind, ultimately running a good letting service or thinking about becoming more business-like is not going to hit the top of the list. When they're being assessed on their results, they have to worry about safeguarding the, the pupils, obviously. You know, there are a few things that come first, which is why we offer a model where we take care of everything. Um, so I think, yeah, I some schools aren't very entrepreneurial, but some are amazing. And all we're doing is trying to support that by reinvesting cash in, in the system. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the moment you allow them to basically yeah, get, um, um, sell the space that they have rented out mm -hmm. um, do you see yourself expanding beyond space or even beyond schools to other sectors um, do, do you think there's more potential um, besides the space element in schools I think there's a huge potential. Um, I think <laughs> any good uh, management speak will tell you that you shouldn't expand in too many different directions at once. And I think we're very conscious of our focus. Um, there are 25,000 schools in the UK. We work with under 50 of them. So we have a long way to go on our current model and just improving that and making it work for our partner schools and our customers. However, um, I think one of the things I would state is that the amount of kind of opportunity in the money that we're generating for schools is vast. So if we're able to generate, you know, half a million pounds, not just one school, but for a single school over multiple years, you know, that money being reinvested in a smarter way and potentially bringing in other organizations to provide discounts for how that money spent means that we can kind of further our impact and create slightly more of a network effect. I think I would also say that on the customer side, these micro communities that people don't really realize exists. You know, there is an 800 million annual market of people hiring sports facilities in the UK. And that is just not really realized. And 40% of sports facilities, or at least halls and uh, astroturf pitches sit in schools. And people just don't 
really know that you know until I started doing this job I didn't know that people wanted to rent halls for Quidditch (laughs) or a church group or any other type of bizarre and wonderful activity that we have across our schools and when you start to realize what massive demand and potential there is there I think you can see opportunities for us to expand into other spaces once we you know, capture the market of customers that want to rent schools. And by the way, it's a market that's based on repeat revenue, which is really exciting. It's people that come in week in, week out. It's not ad hoc. Um, There's a huge capacity for us to start working with libraries and community centers and other spaces. However, it's certainly not the first step for us because I think our model works specifically well with schools. And that's also where our impact is. Obviously the education um, sector needs the money more than ever. And they also have much better facilities than... um, libraries and community centers most of the time so those are kind of a secondary option for us and it's about whether or not that's what our customers want and and whether that's a sensible kind of next step mm-hmm. you mentioned selling to schools uh, i think we had a few founders before in the education space uh, just as we record today today published episode with uh, charles wiles from a company called zish uh, oh, where yeah. they do a space uh, educational tool for teachers and although they have massive distribution i mean again everybody mentions the challenge of actually getting schools to pay and getting schools as customers for you it must have been very easy because you make the money right is, is that the case right is that the case or, yeah it should have um, been fine what, what other challenges you faced and uh, how, how can if, if somebody listens to it and mm. wants to sell to schools what do you say just stay away from it or, or would you have any tips to, to share i've certainly got a lot of tips to share and i'm happy for anyone to contact me about that um and i always meet with founders of educational businesses as much as i can to see if we can improve what we're doing um Yeah, there's a few things I'd say. Um, For the first time this morning, I went into a meeting with a CEO of a um, college chain, which was a a great meeting for us, really exciting. And he says, he said to me, uh, wow, I think your uh, business model is really tight. I'm really impressed. And I was like, good. (laughs) I'm really glad that you said that. Um, You know, when you're a startup and you kind of feel like you're frantically pedaling underwater. But um, I think that's something we've worked on really hard. We have to make sure that all aspects of our model are really, really clean because what we do is actually quite complex. Yes, it's a no brainer. All schools want to make money. We get a lot of first meetings because schools are like, of course I want to do this. But the fact of the matter is there's no framework from the government as to how they should generate revenue as a public organization. So we do run into a few, basically just fear, uncertainty and doubt objections from business managers who are thinking you know yes I could make an extra hundred thousand pounds um but if there's an insurance issue or a safeguarding issue or even a clash with one of our exam usage or our parents evening in the evening you know that's the kind of thing that could really affect my job and taking this entrepreneurial risk may not and that's a problem across the public sector and I think we've just had to make sure that we have run this model for seven years because we can now say to people any objection that you raise like that yet yeah, we're experts when it comes to safeguarding you know we i know quite an inordinate amount of detail that would bore all of my friends at parties about insurance you know it's just things like that that you have to be able to come back and say we've covered that you know we have an answer for everything and i think in the public sector you have to have an answer for everything you can't it's there is you know it's got to be low risk And we take on that risk for the schools because we, you know, it's just a revenue share model. Um, And, you know, we're the provider. So we have to make sure we have all that right. So I think the idea of piloting while you work things out is really sensible because it means that you can show that you've got that 
evidence of having thought about everything work through everything and then you move on to selling and that makes it a hell of a lot easier but yeah I think our main barrier is just people worrying about the complexity of actually you know other people in my space and what does that mean and what might go wrong and we just have to be able to adjust for rather than the best case scenario every single possible worst case scenario and as long as we have an answer to that then schools will partner with us so you actually have somebody on the ground that's actually employed with your company and you then also cover the insurance right for so anything that happens that goes wrong you are basically kind of saying don't worry about it we'll take care of it yeah i think it's more that we are experts so we understand what is and isn't a risk so for example a school will rent out its facilities on its own occasionally they'll often make a loss or not as much money as they could um renting it through you know doing it with us but if they are renting out their facilities on their own there's there's a hell of a lot that they don't realize about what insurance means and what the customer has to mean has to have and has to have covered we don't necessarily change that or take on that liability um but we do make sure that the customer does and the school doesn't so the way you know it's just that we understand the way insurance works and we can actually advise schools because at the end of the day schools aren't businesses they haven't thought about necessarily an out-of-hours safeguarding plan because they haven't had to think about that yet. And we can say, don't worry, we've done that. And that means that renting out your spaces, it's got all these things that you need to think about, but we've got the answer to that to make sure it's not more of a risk. So it's less about us taking on the risk, more about us just making sure that we have de-risked the process for the school. Okay, makes sense. Um, Is there any risk for schools um, if they make this additional revenue that at some point there might be actually a cut in funding. It's like, oh, you're making this revenue. Um, mm. Do you ever face that? Or is, is that an actual threat? Or I'm not in a space, but would there, would there be a threat of government actually cutting funding mm. as a result of this? I mean, you need to speak to the DfE about that. And I have been speaking to some people in the DfE about that. The DfE are, um, or Department of Education, don't mean to use jargon, um, they are currently tendering for a framework on revenue generation. So I assume there will be more guidance as to how to do it. I think it's a politically sensitive topic for the reason that you mention. you know, providing guidance on how to generate revenue may show that it's necessary because of the cuts. And that's obviously not necessarily a good thing for a lot of people. I think it's quite sensitive. And all I can really say is that we have to be aware that that is a kind of threat to our business if government policy changes drastically around whether or not schools can generate revenue or what that means. Um, I think what I would say is that I highly doubt that given the circumstances at the moment, the amount that you can generate through revenue would seriously change school budget cuts. Um, I think, you know, we've been in this period of cutbacks. There's a lot of pushback against it. Um, and I think schools are having to turn to revenue generation. That's something that's been acknowledged by both the DfE and schools alike. Um you know it's in a lot it's in literature you know academies know that they have to be thinking about this en masse now um and i i don't think that particularly under the current government there will be any changes to the fact that schools are thinking more commercially um and they won't get you know punitively or they won't get punished for that um we just need to be aware of it basically and keep on top of it i think to be honest with you the biggest focus is could and should be around education and this is kind of a supplementary thing that has been considered by the government and they're just kind of providing framework as to how it can be done better so i don't think it's kind of on the agenda as far as i know to be kind of seriously disrupted if you look at the next 10 years and think about like your long-term ambitions i always ask people what's the kind of world you're trying to create with school space like what sort of world would you at least want to contribute to well how, how does the world look like in 10 years where school space actually succeeds or like What's your vision for the business and for 
let's say, the education sector that you're mm. impacting? Well, I think I would like for it to be a world where all schools are seen as community use hubs. Um, I would like it to be that there is a need for schools to be um, open to their community and whether that's generating funds through it or simply running, you know, usage programs that self-fund through a supplier or a platform. I think, you know, I would like it to be that schools are not closed environments you know it's not that the gate shut after 3 p.m you look at a lot of the issues that are in the um uh education sector whether it's kind of parent disengagement or um the disadvantage gap that kind of thing i think those are things which can be addressed by opening up school premises it's just that the resource isn't there and no one is you know i think there needs to be dare i say it private sector intervention to kind of make that possible so i think I would like there to be a world with our help and us having kind of leveraged that potential um, where all schools are seen as a vehicle for the local community to come and utilize. Um, You know, it's a thriving hub of the community. I hate using the same words over and over again, but um, in the evenings and weekends and school holidays and the usage is not 17%, it's, you know, 90% and it funds improvement in the facilities. It funds better education, but it also provides a kind of uh, vehicle for the community to have a base, you know, have more affordable facilities in their local area, have a huge uptick in the number of um, events and classes and groups going on, and also have that school kind of as a resource for the community, but also making the most of the community resource. And what I mean by that is kind of rather than there just being a coding club on a Saturday, the coding club is able to give some free time to the school because they've given them the premises and vice versa. And I think if you believe that that model is possible, then we're perfectly placed to help with that and also to transition into more of a platform-based model as that becomes more of a reality and a possibility having you know, started with the fully managed model that we do at the moment. Thanks very much for joining me today. I wish you all the best on this journey. And um, yeah, thanks for taking the time today. Thanks so much. Thank you. This was Impact Hustlers. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Waira UK, part of Telefonica Open Future. Learn more about Waira on www.waira.co.uk.